Welcome to the Blue Collar Gold Podcast, the podcast that shows you how to build a world-class service business from the dirt up. Your host, Mark Stoner, runs a multi-million dollar service business, written the Amazon best-selling book, Blue Collar Gold, and has been featured on CNBC's Blue Collar Millionaires with Tim McGraw. He has gone from starving Nashville musician to successful business owner and will show you how to do it too. So listen up, get out your notepad and get ready to learn what it takes to strike gold in the blue collar world. Hello and welcome to the first Blue Collar Gold podcast. I'm your host, Mark Stoner, and I'm excited to get started in this new venture. I am a business owner and I've been in business since I was about 18 years old and I've learned a lot of lessons of things to do and things not to do. I've consulted with hundreds, probably closer to thousands of businesses and I've learned a lot of things over the years. I still run a consulting business called Blue Collar Gold University where companies come in and we work on their businesses for a couple of days, kind of a high intensive session. Through that, I have just seen some commonalities of things that happen to so many businesses, good and bad, that I believe if you listen to this podcast, you're going to glean, glean some thoughts and, and ideas of, of how to do it better and maybe some aha moments of, of, oh, yeah, I've been going through that and maybe I can do something different to change the outcome. I think this podcast is going to be for anybody that either wants to start a business, has started a business, but it might be part time. They've started a small business, but they'd like to grow it. And all the way up to, you know, bigger companies of how to lead your people and how to do your financing and how to, I mean, do your finances and what what numbers to watch and what things to to be aware of. Uh, We're going to go over marketing, leadership, and really all the basics of business and I hope you enjoy it. So let's get started. This first episode, I'm just going to tell you who I am and why you should even listen to it. And hopefully uh, it'll be interesting enough to, to keep your attention and we'll go from there. So I started a chimney sweeping business when I was 18 years old. No one ever wanted me to start a chimney sweeping business. My father wanted me to work in a factory in our local hometown and you know take some kind of a safe job. But I'm a musician at heart, and that's why I actually live in Nashville, Tennessee now, because I followed my dream of playing drums. But the whole time I was sweeping chimneys. And so to start, though, I read an article about sweeping chimneys, and you know I could start it for just a little bit of money. And that's kind of the key on blue, a lot of blue-collar jobs, a lot of blue-collar businesses. You can start with very little money, and it's really you know how much you're willing to get in and work hard to make it function. So at 18, 19 years old, I had all energy and not a lot of anything else. So we got going. Uh, I knew nothing about chimney sweeping. I read a book on it. And then I just started knocking on doors, door to door. Can I sweep your chimney? Can I inspect your chimney for free at first? Because I really just wanted to look at these things. I bought a kit of a brush and a vacuum and believe it or not, a top hat. That was my first marketing effort was a top hat wearing that and a and tails and you'd go to the door and ask people if they wanted to have their chimney swept and some people looked at you really weird and some people laughed and some people said you're sure come on in and I started that way but you know I over the years I really didn't realize you could grow that kind of business very big at all I just thought it was 
you know, just a part-time job for me for the most part while I played music. And so in the 90s, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee from Madison, Indiana and started, I knew I needed to make a living sweeping chimneys because music was really tough. So it was always kind of a side business for me in Nashville. And I was mostly one man operation, but I did have some helpers and some people that would help me from time to time get jobs done. And, and that went along fine until I really realized that music wasn't, I wasn't going to make it music and it was a rough life, even if I did. So I decided to kind of go full time into the chimney business and kind of put the, the drumsticks down and stop doing it. Well, when I almost as soon as I decided to do that, maybe one year later, I fell off of a roof 30 feet and I was still I was working by myself one day up high on the farmhouse and I was installing some damper systems up on the roof, actually, and a safety device slipped and I fell 30 feet off of a roof and I hit the ground and got seriously hurt. I hurt my legs and my chest and I had to have some surgeries on my legs. And when I was laying there after I fell, I was, I decided I was going to sell my business. This is a sign that I need to be out of the chimney sweeping business and I need to do something else with my life. I was always kind of embarrassed to be a chimney sweep when people would ask me about it. I wasn't really ever proud of it. I just kind of felt like it was something I did and that I could do, but I was really a musician at heart and chimney sweeping and my service was just, you know, something I did. It's kind of unique. Well, I made a big mistake early on, and, and this is maybe a first lesson of the podcast, is if you're a one-person operation, your business probably isn't worth hardly anything. And in my case, I think my business grossed about $170,000 a year, maybe $180,000 gross. And I, so I thought I could sell it for one or two times gross, and I was completely mistaken. No one wanted to buy that business. And what I learned reading the E-Myth from Michael Gerber, if you haven't read that book, I highly recommend it. It changed my life. And in it, it said that I had basically built myself a job. My business was not a business. A business will run without you. And what I had built was a job that would not run without me. Therefore, nobody wanted to buy it. It really wasn't worth anything. And a lot of business owners think their business is going to be worth a lot, but if you are the key person and that business will not run without you, it's worth very little to a buyer. So we're going to go over that over the next series of podcasts, how to build the business so it is valuable without you. And in my, you know, in my opinion and several others, that's really what a business is that will run without you. So I, w I want to work on that type of business. I do a, a a speech sometimes at, at some events and I, I show a picture of a guy on a unicycle and on that the guys on the unicycle that's kind of a one-man operation you know picture it in your mind that there's a guy riding he's all exposed to the elements he's his knees are powering everything he's got one wheel and you know you can imagine how if that's a business how hard that can be you know if your knees go out the business doesn't work if you start getting rained on you might not be able to move if your back goes out uh, you know if you're looking down and not looking up or if you hit something and you get a flat tire your your whole business is down and you're just vulnerable 
Uh, and that's kind of what one-man operations are like, If or even a small business. If something happens to the owner, it's it's all over. And the business is down, and nobody knows how to ride the unicycle except you. And then I kind of show a, a picture of, like, a car. And so it's got four wheels at least, and it'll drive, and you can lose a wheel, and it can still go, and the driver's protected. But, you know, if you lose the driver, unless you're driving a Tesla, it, it won't drive itself, and it could still be... You know, it could still go down, but it's it's a lot more stable. And then I show a picture of a semi-truck. And in the semi-truck, I've got 18 wheels. I've got a safe enclosed cabin. I may not have another driver in there sleeping so that when one gets tired, another one can pick up. I have GPS. It's locating and routing the truck everywhere. I have somebody loading and unloading the truck. And I have, a you know, a fleet of those that, in you know, in your mind, run a lot better and smoother and are not dependent on one key person. So I come from a kind of a long line of one person businesses. Uh, My mother started an accounting business and she was the key figure. I remember when I was a small kid, you know, going into her office and she had two to three girls working for her in the office and she was a head accountant, but she had to check all their work and it would just stressed her out to the max. And then she became very sick, uh, very stressed out and was unable to continue the business. So in her forties, she was already worn out and her business was failing. Uh, I have other family members that have started businesses and they're very much, locked into the one person is the business and I've just seen it fail over and over again so I decided I'm not going to build that kind of business back to my story when I was laying on the couch and I couldn't sell the business uh, I actually had some offers I reached out to some local companies to see if they wanted to buy it and the best offer I got was ten thousand dollars which barely covered my equipment I thought I was getting about one hundred and eighty to two hundred thousand dollars, and I only got ten thousand dollar offer was my best offer, and I realized I had made a huge mistake in business and in my thinking of the value of what I had done, and I'd been working seventeen years and I had a business that was worth ten thousand dollars and I didn't have hardly any money in the bank, so I have messed up now. So I started reading uh, when I was laying on the couch. You know, I started reading. Uh, all kinds of business books. And I mentioned before that E-Myth Revisited was one of them that I read early. And it helped me understand that uh, I need to change what I was thinking. I then happened to come across an article of another chimney sweep company in Virginia Beach. His name's Jim Brewer. He's a good friend of mine now and a, a, a business partner in some other ventures. But I didn't know him at the time. And he had like a 10-truck chimney sweeping operation in Virginia Beach. And I thought, wow, I didn't even know that was possible. But if it is possible, maybe I can learn how to do that. And maybe if he can figure it out, maybe I can figure it out. So I really started reading a lot. And if you want to do anything that will speed up your trajectory in business, start reading, listen to audiobooks, really start taking uh, a lot of information in as fast as you can. And that's it really changed everything about what I was doing. So in 2003, I started hiring employees. 
And it was going really fast. I could hire people quickly. Now, I didn't have anything in place for them to be hired. I didn't have training processes, standard operating procedures, good pay structures. I mean, nothing. I was just hiring people, and we're just going as fast as we could. And in 2007, I had a million dollars in sales, $1.1 million. And I was about, I think, about $1.2 million is what it cost me. I was about 100000 upside down. Growing, it was not financially working at all. Seemed like the more trucks I added, the less money I had at the end of the day. Had a million headaches because I had 17 employees and everyone answering to me from my paycheck's wrong to Mrs. Smith's got a problem to where's this part to marketing to everything Everyone could answer me, you know, call me at any time. At the time, I had those Nextel phones, you know, the ones you go beep, 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 beep. My phone would go off all the time, and it was absolutely demoralizing. You just, you just hated running the business the way I'd run it. And it really got so bad that even before I would go into work every day that I would feel sick to my stomach, and I would think I was going to throw up in the shower before I got into work on and. I just thought, I have built the crappiest chimney business in the United States. I, Everything is wrong. People are mad. People are not happy. My cu- employees aren't happy. Customers are not happy. I'm not happy. But yet we're busy. And it's there was just some crazy things happening in, inside the company. I didn't realize it, but I had a drug problem between employees. I didn't know it. I don't do drugs. Never have done them. Didn't realize how many people do do them and hide them from me. I didn't have a drug policy in place. So guess how many, you know, people would say, hey, I've got a friend that could help us. Well, that was his druggy friend because he, he says, you know, these guys don't drug test. So, you know, just refer their other friends and he doesn't drug test. So I, you know, unknowingly got more and more people on drugs working for me. And then pretty soon you may hear about it, you may know about it, but you don't want to lose your workforce either. So now what do you do? You know, you've got a drug problem, and you, but you got to get the work done. It kind of all came to a boil. Uh, you know, I also didn't know my finances. I didn't know my key numbers. Uh, I was a poor leader. I didn't hold anyone accountable for anything. I thought if I hugged, hugged on you enough and loved on you and, and said, hey, man, do better the next time, that was a pretty good business model, and I'm sure it'll get better and people won't do wrong things over and over. Yet no accountability for me because I thought if I hold them accountable – they won't like me. If they don't like me, they won't come to work or they'll do worse things, you know, in business. So I need to make sure they like me and I'm a good boss. So I'm just going to be their friend and not really, you know, get down on them and, and make them accountable. Well, all that led to a total crash of my business in 2007, 2008. I was upside down. I had not paid myself for about six months. I hadn't, couldn't pay for any marketing. I was way behind on my rent for the building. And the building in the, you know, housing crisis and economy kind of crashed. And when it did, the very small edge I was hanging on to disappeared. The phone call, the phones quit ringing and everything slowed down. So I had to do the hardest thing I'd ever done in business, which was lay off 17 people. Really, I had to just fire them all because I, I didn't know I was going to be able to bring them back or even do anything. So had to fire 17 people one day, which is a very hard conversation. 
I knew I had about five really good people of those 17. So I thought if I could rebuild it, there's about five of them here that could help me rebuild it. I started going back and doing all the work myself in 2008. I just knocked on the door and I, you know, I had a lot of phone calls. I had six or seven vans out in the parking lot full of tools and, uh, you know, but nobody coming into work. I was in a 5,000 square foot building and I was going in there by myself every day. My 14 year old son Saxon was, was helping me. I, I told him I needed help this summer. Dad's got to dig the business out of the hole. And he got up to work every day with me and rode along with me and helped me as best he could. And it was, it was really a great time, but it was really a tough time too. Uh, but pretty soon I got very busy again and so busy. I had to start calling the people back and one at a time I would bring them back to help me as I built it. But I, you know, I learned a lot and I worked probably a hundred hours a week, but I also, when I got home, I worked on the business and, you know, commission structures and systems and things that I knew we needed to move forward. And mostly of all, I had, I had to read and learn how to be a good leader of people. And if there's any one thing in business that you must do, you have to be a good leader for your people. If you can be a good leader, you can do great things. Uh, you can get through bad systems. You can get through bad times if you're a great leader. But you, if you're a crappy leader, you can have all the systems in the world and all the processes and your people will not, you know, you will not do as well as they would under good leadership and fair leadership. So, so I started to rebuild it in 2009. We had about, I think we were back up to 10 employees and we hit our million dollars again. And then we just kept growing from there. We've never laid off. We've never slowed down. We are now a 50 person operation, um, a little over $7 million in sales. And it's not a huge business by any means, but it's in the chimney industry. It's one of the bigger ones. But if you look at HVAC and some other areas, it's not. But it's really tough business to grow. Uh, it's kind of like herding cats really bad in the chimney industry because so many things are not right, not built right, not uh, standard. And so you just have to have a really good group of problem solvers. So I had to learn how to do this. I had to learn how to um, grow people and grow leaders, have managers built in. And we've done that. We've done that to a high degree and I've been completely focused on it. And it's now at 50 people, it's the easiest it's ever been to, to run for me. And a lot of people think, oh, 50 employees, I would never want that. There's actually a tipping point that it becomes a lot easier. And I think that was probably at about 20 employees. For me, it got so much easier. And if you're, if you're listening and you run a service business, uh, for me, when we got up to th four vans, the three, when we were at three vans or three service trucks and I was one of them that was running one of them, that was the hardest business that was ever for me because I was doing all the hardest work. I was the, the lead technician. I had to get everybody the, everything they needed and all the easy stuff went to the other technicians. So I got the hardest of everything. Plus was, you know, driving myself nuts and not making any better money than I did by myself. So I would just encourage everyone out there to get, if you're in that area, which is a, it's a simple place to be. It's easy to get to three trucks. 
it's hard to get to the fourth and fifth because a lot of people give up. They're like, this is way worse. And they can't, can't imagine that four is going to be any better than three. In fact, they think four and five would be more chaotic. Yet, to me, that was a tipping point that actually can start getting better. So uh, I um, started, you know, really growing the company quickly and we really haven't looked back. So that's kind of my story. That's where I started. And now I, a couple years ago in 2016, I wrote a book called Blue Collar Gold, How to Build a Service Business from the Dirt Up. And in, in the following podcasts, I'm going to really go through that book and go through the lessons at the time and also stories of today of what I deal with on a daily basis in the in the blue collar world. A lot of people think that this generation of millennials don't know how to work. And I, I find that just, it's very hard to believe. I, I don't believe it. I have really great employees of all ages from younger people to older people. And it's really about people. It's not a generation. It's not anything like that, but they do require different, you know, things, different training, different engagement. They work differently, but uh, they still have a great work ethic. When you get the right ones, they are fantastic. But a couple more things uh, about me that uh, may be, you know, just part of kind of what got me here was uh, I was a musician and I played drums uh, my whole life. I wanted to be the world's greatest drummer. Uh, and I practiced all the time. I just really could not practice the drums enough. And at one point, I moved out to California to try to play drums out there a little bit, but it didn't it didn't work out at all. And I was only there for about a year, and I decided to move to Nashville because that was the kind of the up and coming city. It was pretty close to Indiana, and I knew country music. I've been playing country music since I was fifteen with some bands, and I moved to Nashville, and. I immediately got into some different bands that were traveling and touring, and we got to go over to Europe for a little while and play jazz. And I thought, right off the bat, I had that kind of tour, and we we played some charity things with Charlie Daniels and, and got some exposure that way, got a record deal on a small label. And I really thought we were going someplace. But, you know, over the years, I saw some really great entertainers, but really poor leadership. And we had a funny, you know, funny saying in, in bands that we had an LSD problem and that was a lead singer disease. And it was just time after time, um, we got, you know, we had leadership issues, really bad calls, really bad fights and just bad decisions that, that, screwed us over and we we didn't get to the next level many many times one of the bands i was in won several nationwide contests open for tons of big country music artists yet the leadership really started to fail and not innovate and not write new songs and not you know change the show and when we would get criticism that lead singer didn't want to hear criticism in fact he felt like he was above criticism and how dare you criticize him the more famous we got regionally famous and more popular the harder it was to talk to that person so I saw a person that went from in my mind a great leader one of the best leaders I'd ever been around I would walk through walls and go through fire for this guy to somebody that I could not stand even to look at and ride in a van with 
and he felt the same way about me and the, the other parts of the other people in the band. We just grew so, you know, distant from each other. And so I started several other bands and was in different things. And I love playing music and I love being on stage and entertaining people. But it just simply, you know, Nashville's tough. You know, they, the old joke is, uh, what's the difference between a pizza and a musician? And the answer is a pizza can feed a family of four. And that's where I was. I had two young kids and uh, not bringing in very good money at all, uh, driving very old cars, junk cars for that matter, and barely being able to pay any of the bills. And I went through a divorce right after that. And when I went through the divorce, it was even worse. There'd be times I come home with no electricity, uh, you know, get kicked out of apartments. And it was like, I am just not thriving down here. So it took me a while to get through everything and start, you know, start building the business. But I can tell you this, if you're in business and you you want something bad enough, you can make it happen. You're in America. You are in the greatest country the world has ever known for starting a business, for thriving, for starting any kind of business, and even starting over in business. We are very forgiving. And if you're sitting out there listening going, you know, I always wanted to start a business, but I'm scared to, you need to stop being scared it's, it's not worse than not starting the business. I can promise you that. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, there will be things that pop up and you were not expecting them. And, but that's what's going to happen to you in life anyway. You don't know what's coming and you don't know what could be if you don't, if you don't try it. There's a little video clip I love and I, I, I show it all the time when I'm doing talks of uh, the Steve Harvey clip when he's doing Family Feud. And it's called Jump. If you've never looked it up on YouTube, I highly recommend looking up Steve Harvey Jump. And just listen to what he says about if you're sitting on the edge of life just watching, you know, and you see people soaring by and they're very successful and everything seems great. And you're like, how do they do that? You know, he says that those people are living in their dream. They're living in their their blessing. And they jumped. And at one point you have to jump off the edge of what's safe and try something new. And he said, it could be rough. You could get skinned up. You could hit those rocks. You're going to you know, get, this, get the clothes tore right off of you. But eventually your gift has to open, which is your parachute, and you will start to soar. And the more I've seen business and the more I've seen people really do that, the more I've seen that to be absolutely true. So if you're listening to this podcast and you have yet to start or you're listening to this podcast and you are kind of at a safe space in your business and you're kind of afraid to go to the next level because it's scary, the best advice I can give you is you you have to do it. And, but you have to do it and you have to have energy to do it and be excited about it and get through it. Um, you know, you have to go into launch mode. It's kind of like an analogy of, you know, a, a satellite in orbit. And if you're in business or you're in life, you're kind of going around in an orbit circling, you know, the planet. And if you want to get to a higher orbit, you have to burn a lot of energy to get to a much higher orbit. And you you have to get all in and completely focused and give it all your energy to get to a higher level before it gets easier. And you can you go at a higher, kind of a slower orbit, bigger orbit, but probably a better orbit. 
And business is just that. It is deciding when to push the thrusters and go all in and when to be conservative. And some people get stuck in either mode. They blast too long, they won't quit blasting, or they stay conservative too long and they just get scared or worse, comfortable. And I I really want to talk about that too. If you're comfortable in life, you're probably not going to do much. You're probably really not going to try. It's really being uncomfortable is what makes you go for things. Being in pain is what makes you move and change. You know, if you're my friend, Larry Wingett talks about it all the time. You know, pain is the best motivator there is. Being happy is not a motivator. Being unhappy is a motivator. You know, being skinny is not a motivator. Being fat and unhappy, that can be a motivator to get skinny. And, you know, he talks about, too, you, you have to give something up to get what you want. You don't have to do something extra. You got to give something up. You know, if you want to get up, if you want to stand up, you've got to give up sitting down. If you want to get skinnier, you've got to give up some time and money and get in the gym and give up some food. You know, anything, you know, if you want to get rich, you probably have to stop spending on things you shouldn't be spending on. You know, all those type of things, you you usually have to give something up to get what you really want. But most people, when you're comfortable, you don't want to give anything up. So that's this. I'm going to wrap this podcast up. I don't want each one to go too long. Uh, This is this is who I am. This is uh, what I'm going to talk about. And I'm going to talk about some very specific stories in business and some specific topics every week that I hope you tune in for, hope you like, and I'm excited to do this. So let's go get them blue collar nation.